The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. Father, we are thankful for your word and the opportunity to sit down and look at these things, and we ask that it would be more than just an exercise and looking at some grammar or some context, but it would really be about uh, what your son Jesus Christ has said and how those things have meaning for us right now, how they cause us to look at the world and our situations differently, and we would thank you for all of this then. Amen. Um, we are going to put in at the end... I, I kind of thought we'd get through both these things foolishly last week, but in John chapter 16, at the very end of the chapter, we looked at uh, last week, in verse 33, where Jesus says, I have spoken these things so that in me you might have peace. So we were talking about one of the practical applications of who we are in Christ is that we're able to have peace. And we spent all of last week looking at that. I didn't think it would take that long, but we had... A, some good questions and comments and conversation on them. That was good. But then... Sorry, 16 what? 33. But then he says in the last, his last statement, in the world you will have, that's for certain, you will have tribulation, adversity, pressure, however we understand that word, but be cheerfully optimistic. Some of your Bibles are going to have cheerful, be of good cheer, take courage, something like that. But it's a, it's a word, not just courage, but it's a, it's a very positive courage. A cheerful courage is the background of this term. But be cheerfully encouraged. I have, perfect tense, meaning I have in the past overcome with the result that I'm still overcoming the world. That first part, in the world, you're going to have adversity. You're going to have problems. Let's take a look. We already looked at the peace. We looked at that last week. But I want to look at a few things with regard to the world tonight. There's actually, I've got just tons of stuff. I mean, we could spend two or three weeks just looking at some issues with regard to the world, right? Yeah. So let's go over, uh, first of all, the First Corinthians uh, chapter 8. First of all, let's ask this question. When you think about the world, what are different things that come to your mind when we use the word world? What? The planet. The planet. Okay. The planet. Yeah. The unbelieving section of the world. Okay. The unbelieving part. That's right. All the unbelievers. Well, so when, like, when I read this this verse specifically, in this world you will have trouble, I, that makes me think more of, like, in your lifetime versus, like, spatially in the world. Okay. Anybody else have any other thoughts? <laughs> Josh is going to say Josh something. Josh has lots of thoughts. Sam, Josh, it's okay. Say your thoughts. I mean, the world system, organized system. Mm -hmm. And really, except for maybe the, the planet, which would be the location, which is kind of where the world system operates, all of those things really are all part of that. They're all part of the same issue about whether it's a spatial location here, but also the unsaved people, also our life within this, but the system that operates or organizes all of that. When I was growing up, when we were, when we were talk, when we talked about the world, uh, normally we thought about the world in terms of 
all the negative things we shouldn't do. What does the world do? They go to the bar and they drink. They go to dances. They, uh, I don't know, go to movies. Shouldn't go to, shouldn't go to movies, shouldn't go to dances. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I, I grew up hearing once in a while, which is really interesting. I didn't hear that everywhere. I think I've told you many times, and I was thinking about this. I was laying in bed thinking about some of this, this study. I don't know if it was last night or the night before, but I was awake in the middle of the night, and I had to get my iPad down to read some verses on this. But I, was, I had this pastor that was pretty good when I was growing up for, for a handful of years. And, you know, he wasn't overly legalistic by any stretch. And I was even thinking, I remember I didn't go to dances, not because my parents didn't permit me to, but because, well, I have two left feet, and I just thought, I'm going to look like an idiot there. No one will dance with me. So I just stayed home or went in car rides with my friends. But my pastor's son, he went to the dances, and his parents didn't have a problem with that. You know, so um, yeah, benefits. I but I say we, we we go from that situation. I remember when my family moved to the town where my mom and dad are now. That I think that first fall, my mom and dad, my dad being a school teacher, they chaperoned one of the high school dances, and I don't remember which one it was. But I'm telling you, that pastor just came unglued. He could not believe that they went to a dance. <laughs> You know, so this is this is the kind of stuff that I grew up around. Um, just the, this, getting this from different sides and things like that. But there's all kinds of things beyond just picking on. We shouldn't go to movies. We shouldn't do this kind of stuff. That kind of thing that people did, and I think probably the problem with that is is that there were a lot of Christians that never went to movies, never went to dances, never went to bars, whatever other things they thought was worldly, but they were very worldly in other ways, because they didn't really understand what the world system really is. Notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 28, he says, If indeed you marry, you haven't sinned. And it says, And if a virgin marry, she did not sin, but you will have pressure. This is the same word for adversity or tribulation over there in chapter 16. You are going to have pressure, such a one's, uh, in the flesh, and I'm trying to spare you. And I say this, brothers, the time is short. Now, the reason he's saying that, if you went back in the context, and he says this about men and women alike, when you're single, you just take care of yourself. But when you're married, right, you have spouses, and you have certain responsibilities that you wouldn't normally think about. And I, how many times have you guys heard me tell the story about George Sisson and Debbie out traveling through the countryside with his dad riding in the truck and they're driving by and there's an old shack sitting with a little smoke coming out of it. And, and George said, there wasn't much to it. And, uh, and uh, George Sr. points it out and he says, he says, you know, Debbie, he says, if I hadn't met George's mother, I'd be content to just live in a little old shack like that. I'd be okay. And Debbie said, and so would your son. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny when you when you go to visit George and Debbie's house now. But anyway, um, but it it is the fact that when you when you're married and you have family, you do. We all know we have other responsibilities. It's not like any of us that go, oh, I hate those. But this is all Paul's getting at, and it all is going to come in here in verse twenty nine. He says, "But I say, them brothers, the time is short. From now on, both that have wives, they ought to be as though they have none." And those that are weeping ought to be like those who are not weeping, and those who are rejoicing is not rejoicing, and those buying as though they don't own it or possess it. We'll stop there before we look at our last, the key phrase I want to get to. 
some of those things sound crazy. Like you have a wife, just ignore her. No, he's just saying, you remember your wife or marriage is not the be all end all. There is more to life than just that. That is a big thing when you're a believer, right? But it's not it. It's not everything. And grief causing weeping, that, that can be a big deal depending on what you're going through. But you also need to remember that's something temporary also. Just like marriage. We're not Mormons. Marriage is not eternal. Remember at the Bible conference it's just a couple weeks? What? So it's not for them either, but... Yeah, I know it is, but they think it is. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's not... Yeah, that's a good point. It's not going to be just for them. And the same thing with rejoicing. There's lots of things in the world we get really excited about and we rejoice over. And there's nothing wrong with rejoicing, but we just need to remember the things that we get excited <coughs> and rejoice over. They're temporary down here. Most of those things. And then he says in buying, we can become so caught up in acquiring stuff in the world system, but we ought not to look at it as, oh, I finally acquired this thing. This is going to be it. This is going to be the great thing. I don't, Josh probably was never like this, but when you were in seminary and such, there are a big thing about acquiring certain books and everybody's on the hunt for these key books and you're making regular trips down to Portland to go to Pilgrim's Use Books and look at, I found it. I found the golden you know, it's crazy how, how nuts you'd get over books. And then you know what you did? You stuck them on your bookshelf and maybe never read it. You know, it might be 20 years before you pull the book off the shelf and read it, but you got it. It's just, it's Paul saying there's a balance in the way you live when you're down here. And that comes back to this last statement, verse 31. And those that make use of the world as not using it fully. The Bible doesn't prohibit you from making use of things of the world. It doesn't say no, 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 but it just says you need to live with a balance, right? That this, the world is not the final solution for you. It's not the thing that's going to take care of all the things that are going on. And uh, case in point, well, he does finish the verse. For, for the form or the shape of this world, the, the schema, the scenery of this world is passing away. It's passing away right now. He doesn't say it will pass away. He says it is passing away right now, which in simple terms is that it's always changing. About the time you catch up with the Joneses, the Joneses <clears throat> have moved on to something else and you just got this and you're all excited and they're like, oh, that's so yesterday. The world system is always in flux. It's always changing. I finally took a trip to Hawaii. Everybody's going, nobody goes to Hawaii anymore. Well, I, we've actually heard that. We've actually had people, oh, most people don't travel to Hawaii. It's not what it used to be. I've heard people telling me that. I'm like, okay, I still have never been to Hawaii, you know? But they're like, oh yeah, you don't want to go. Now you want to go to, and they tell you the new place you need to go on a vacation. And it's this thing that these things are always changing. It's passing away right now. So we can make use of the world. The Bible does not prohibit us from making use of the world, but it, what it does encourage us to do is not to use it to full, not to think this is the be all end all. I have this, I get this, I do this. Now life's complete. And so a balance on this. Let's turn over to 1 John chapter two. Now I really want Lewis to pay attention to this because this is part of our question from the other night, and it didn't dawn on me until uh, after I was laying in bed 
This would have been an interesting verse to discuss. First John two, first John chapter two, go to verse fifteen when we get there. First John chapter two, verse fifteen. Our I just fell. He's just trying his right jumped, The question at men's group the other night was try to remember how to but it had some issues to deal with kind of like pride a little bit. Uh, let's see. Oh, proud, being proud of yourself apart from Christ and nothing. And then what's the good, healthy balance? Good, healthy balance with regard to all that. Thank you. Because I knew it's kind of what we talked about. I came home and Peggy and I chatted about this topic a little bit the other night when we got home. And I went to bed and I was thinking, this is actually a really good statement on it because there's going to be a word that he uses in here and that, that'll really address a part of this. Now, if you go back to verse 14, at the end of verse 14, he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides at ease in you and you have overcome the evil one. And then verse 15, he says, but do not love the world. Now, I the way I read this grammatically is I, we can take this to anybody but I think that this is especially being addressed to those young men that he just got done talking about because they know how they know how to deal with their sin nature. That's how that's why they're strong. They know how to deal with Satan. They've overcome the wicked one. But you know what problem they're dealing with? You know where they are in their their maturity or development? They're still struggling with the world. And he says, stop. And there's two ways of handling this imperative don't love. Number one, it can be don't start if you're not doing it now and if you are doing cut it out so it depends on where you are in this relationship that imperative can go either way this uh, so he says do not love or do not start loving the world or cut it out the world neither the things in the world plain and simple don't love don't love the system he uses the word agape agape would imply what if you're exercising agape love that would mean you're doing what Okay, you're and spiritual. You're and what, yeah, and it does what? And you're sacrificing. And you're sacrificing. So we could interpret this, don't. Sacrifice for the things of the world. Yeah, don't sacrifice the world or for the things of the world system. <clears throat> love is also trying to always promote something being better. You know, if, if a husband's loving a wife, he's trying to help her to become better or become more what God wants her to be, not what he thinks he should be, but what God wants her to be. That's the way he's helping love her uh, in that con in uh, Ephesians 5. So that's the other part of this is not only are we sacrificing for these things, but we're sacrificing trying to improve the world. When we get back over to John, we're going to see that, well, that kind of is foolish, but it's also foolish in light of the way this goes. So neither don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father isn't in him. You can't love the world and love the Father at the same time. Scripturally, John tells us, how do you love God the Father? By loving his children. By loving his children. Tells us as much. We kind of have a little hint at that or over in the upper room, which we looked at back of, probably a few months ago. But we also says that at the end of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. 
you love God the Father by loving his family. You can go, you can pray and say, God, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he says, I don't see you loving your brothers and sisters down there. You're not treating them very well. I don't believe it. You love God by the way you love uh, other believers. So he says here, if you have this love for the world, the love for the Father isn't in him, this one. Verse 16, because everything that is in the world, now he's going to go over and he's going to take all things in the world, he's going to break them down into three simple things. And this is going to cover most of this stuff that goes on in the world that we get wrapped up in. He says, the cravings for the flesh. The world has things that appeal to our flesh. Um, Dan Dalkey always used to call it new paint syndrome. I've got a car. It runs well. But you know what? I've been driving that same car for five years. I've got new paint syndrome. I want a shiny new car. Just as an example. There, it could fall into, we, there could be a myriad of things that would fall into the lust of the flesh where things that appeal to you want stuff. And that's going to come out in the next one even more so when he talks about the cravings for the eyes. But things about the things that we want for the flesh. We can become obsessed with just trying to make our life look better, feel better. It's all about us. It's all about comfort. And it's not like God says, hey, you're a Christian. You should get rid of your nice clothes and wear sackcloth all day. You know, and quick, get rid of all your cars and just walk around on bare feet in the rocky. He's not telling us this. Remember what he said over in 1 Corinthians 7? Make use. Yeah, make use of it, but don't abuse it. Don't make it the be all end all. So he says, first of all, all that is in the world, the crave that is in the world, the cravings for the flesh, things that appeal to us for a fleshly system. I would say another thing, well, let's, we'll save that to the last one there. Cravings for the eyes, the new paint syndrome is an example of that. And then the last one here, and the empty boast of things pertaining to this physical life. He uses the word bios here for this life. But that word that's translated, the, the um, oh, I can't even think, how is it translated in the King James? I'm trying to remember their word. of life. Uh, pride of life, pride of life. Okay, I was just trying to remember how I grew up learning this. It, it's a, that word is used for what a, a salesman does when he comes in and promises you that his product will do everything for you. Take this, take this thing. Uh, you'll lose weight. You'll get your vision back and throw your glasses away. It'll regrow your hair. Your teeth will get straight. Your breath will smell wonderful, and the women will fall in love with you, and you'll finally meet somebody. You know. This, this, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it all sounds crazy and insane, but that's what the word referred to. That's actually what it referred to. The crazy, insane claims that people make. But what Paul or Paul, but what John is saying with that word is, that's exactly what things pertaining to this life in the world, that's what it's all about. If you're chasing after all that stuff, what you're doing is you're chasing after stuff to say, hey, look at me. This is great. You could have your own... Nobody goes on TV to do this anymore. Now you have your own uh, channel on, online and everybody gets on there and they're all going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how you can have everything I have. There used to be a guy every time, man, I couldn't wait for the skip this video or this commercial thing to come up with this guy's walking through his garage. He's got these cars, I did this, and I remember, and he's talking, to, and he, you have to sit and go, what? It took me a while to go, oh, he's trying to get me to click on the link to go over and listen to him tell me how to pay him some money 
so he can teach me how to get rich like him. Crazy nonsense. But whether it's big stuff like that or even the small level that we go through, that's exactly what, it, what this is. It's us trying to have something that is bragworthy. And by using this word, John is telling you everything that's bragworthy in the, in the world, from the world's point of view, is silly. It's nonsense. It's as crazy as a man selling snake oil telling you you're going to regrow your hair. Like Kenneth Copeland. Well, yeah, yeah. But the, and, but the thing, that's actually a really good example, yeah. Um, but think about that. There's a lot of us, just Christians, that I don't think we're, we're not Kate, uh, Kenneth Copeland crazy. But we're just doing these things. But we buy into this, right? We get sucked into this, chasing after and pursuing all these things that we think we have to do, we have to have, whatever it is. I'm not going to say anybody's wrong going after uh, advanced degrees, PhDs, or anything like that or doing other things like that. But if we think that by doing that, I'm gonna find some sort of fulfillment and I'm gonna have something that's gonna make me complete, or in answer to the question the other night, it's gonna give me bragging rights. I remember, this is, um, this is back in 2003 or 2004, right about the time that Orth started um, Awana. And I remember at that time having a long talk with Ben because I was looking at a PhD program back in Minneapolis and I was thinking of going back and working on this. And Ben says, well, he, and he says, I, I think if that's what you want, God, think God wants you to do, you should do that. And I said, I just am not convinced I'd be doing it for the right reason. And he, I said, he said, well, what do you mean? Well, I think I'd do, do the PhD so people would take me seriously. And you know why I said that? Because I was, I was researching and talking to them, and they said the number one reason a lot of people end up pursuing doctor's degrees in, in, as pastors and such is so people take them seriously. And I just was like, if I can't study the Word of God and teach it well enough for them to take, not me seriously, but take the Word of God seriously, going and getting a doctor's degree ain't going to take care of that. Right? I mean, because think about that. If you go to a medical doctor and everybody in town knows you go in, all he's going to do is sit down with his script book and write out a script and send you home with it. People go, don't go to him. He's just going to give you prescriptions. You want a doctor that's going to sit down and really help you figure out what's going on, right? Isn't that what you'd like? Yeah. Well, it's the same thing in terms of, shall we say, bragging rights. So I was just thinking about this. I was thinking about this the other night with regard to the topic, that if we're pursuing something so that we have the <clears throat> bragging rights, that kind of pride, I think it's the thing maybe we ought to either reevaluate what we're doing or just let go of it altogether. Yeah. But notice what he goes on and says then. He says, these things are not from the Father. And keep in mind, James tells us in James 1, he says, the real good gifts and the real good acts of giving, they come down from the Father of lights. So the Father really does give us good things and he, does, he gives them in the right way. He doesn't just pass out candy to the kids he's going to do what's good and he's going to do it in the right way so it fits here these things aren't from the father and i i think i've, I've shared this because I, I always think this is this is crazy and i don't know five or six years ago the blessed thing was going around everybody everybody online you know, if you're on facebook i i get on facebook a couple times a week but I used to be on it every day, and you'd be on there, and all these people, oh, I'm so blessed, I'm so, and you get this from everybody. I'm getting this from people that's like, 
you don't even believe in God. You know, I'm talking to people that I'm friends with. I'm like, you don't even believe in God, and you're going blessed. And I remember one of them, there was somebody local that I knew, and they were up in Moses Lake at a dealership, and they're standing in front of their brand new fancy pickup truck, and they had a, you know, they take pictures of you buying your new truck today, and or what your car, whatever. And they're saying, and and the the woman in this thing put down, new truck, so blessed. And I was like, is this what we really think? I got a new truck and I'm blessed. No, you know what? If if you were doing a business that required a truck and God provided that, you could say, God, that was a blessing, that that was good, that you provided this thing that I really did legitimately need. Not that I thought I needed, but legitimately needed. And so he says, those things really aren't from the Father. They're from the world, this kind of stuff. I think it's it's a real good way to for us as believers to evaluate where we are in life. And I don't think we need to be going every day, every moment of every day. Is this from the world? Is this from the world? Should I be doing this? Is this worldly? I think if we're spiritual, we're going to, I think, because Josh was mentioned that earlier about the love thing. If you're spiritual, you're going to start to see that doesn't really fit with biblical love, right? And then that's, that's unnecessary to go down that path. Well, it can get challenging, though. Like you're talking about if my intention is to create or acquire or do something that is going to gain me bragging rights, then I have the wrong motivation. And I, and that's when I fall into this loving the world thing. But if I'm not setting out with that intention, and then I start getting the worldly accolades anyway... that can start to draw you into, I really enjoy that. <coughs> I really enjoy getting the praise and the notoriety and the whatever. It, it can come from, from both from inside and outside. That's a really challenging. I'm being challenged by this idea here. Yeah. Well, and I think we kind of talked about that. That was one of the things. I know what's talked about at men's group stays at men's group. But I'm not telling what anybody specifically. We're talking about the Bible right now. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, it, but we were mentioning about that, about the fact that, yeah, sometimes you're just doing what you need to be doing, right? And somebody comes along and praises you for it. And are you as a person, are you supposed to stand there and go, oh, don't praise me, no praise. I'm a Christian. I'm humble. No praise. Don't thank me. Right. Yeah. No, you don't have to do that. But you, you're accurate. You're, you're right. We do have to be careful because those praises can be used as bait to draw us in and say, I'd like more of that. Mm -hmm. I'd like more acknowledgement. I'd like more pats on the back. Well, or even, even with things like, uh, you know, you guys have all been business owners, and I'm sure that there comes a point, has come a point where, where you have to make decisions where, this is starting to eat up a lot of my time. So I have to decide, am I going to continue down the same path and we're going to, we're going to, yeah, we're going to grow this business because it's growing and it, and it's working, even though it's pulling me, it's pulling me away from family. It's pulling me away from personal responsibilities. It's pulling me away from, um, church it's pulling me away from all these other things but but this is the this is what's happening this is where the flow is 
or do we have to say stop or do we hire like there's all these decisions that have to be made and figuring out <coughs> yeah in all those examples you said kept using that pulling away from pulling away from pulling away from those all really fall under that up above there where he says that the, those things are, um, excuse me, for the one that's loving the world, that, that does not have a love for the Father. Because that's what you're doing. It's going back to the fact that you love the Father by loving other believers. And if you're being drawn away from it's like, well, I can't go to church hardly at all anymore. I make it to church like maybe once a month out of all the opportunities because, well, the world just has these demands on me. I've got to do this stuff. And maybe I would start to think, well, maybe you need to rethink what you're doing, where, where God has you. Uh, it's drawn away. You don't have time for your family. You're gone all the time. Your kids don't see you anymore. Your spouse doesn't see you anymore. And you have to think. And sometimes it's a, just a, you know, that's a one side of it that can very be legitimate. Another side of it is, this is part of the trials God's allowed you to have. And you need to figure out how to rely on God to get through them. And... If you don't rely on God and figure out how to get through him, if that's what he has for you, then you're probably going to go around the same block again. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, uh, yeah. So, I mean. I mean, do you just quit your job? Yeah, do you just quit your job and say, oh, and now what do you do? Now you just, now, now you're going to, those, those, now that you have all this time to love other believers, pretty soon you have no, you have, you can. You have no resources. You have no resources. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a balance of. Of uh, using the world without abusing it, but what's the design in? The design in is so you can do the things that you really want to do, which is serve other people. Mm -hmm. so. And Paul gives us the balance in Second Thessalonians three: the one that does not want to work doesn't eat. So it implies more than in one place that as believers we're supposed to be working. But I think obviously what he's showing you is there's a balance between balancing work with what God has us to do and being engaged with other believers. There's a balance in there somewhere. And I can't stand and look at your life and say, well, you got to do it this. You can only put this many hours in at work and you got to put in this many hours at church because now you're getting, you're stepping across the line of legalism. Legalism. Yeah. And, and I don't know your heart and I don't know what's going on in all the details of your life and in your family and all these things. I, I don't know that. We can just look at the Word of God and say, this is, what, this is what John is talking to these young men about. I think it addresses all of us and then these other passages for us to develop a balance. Try to figure out, am I loving this or am I just making use of it? Am I balancing this between the love or the, just the use of it that Paul said over there? And then this is the thing. Same thing that, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. Notice what he says in verse 17. And I think this is the thing for us to put some of this in perspective for us. For the world is passing away. Same word that he used over there. Same word that he used in 1 Corinthians 7. And it's cravings. But the one doing the will of God. Now in the context of 1 John, what is the will of God? In the context of 1 John, what would the will of God be? It's got something to do with love. Guess what? Yes, it does. <laughs> the book of 1 John, in a nutshell, is you have eternal life. God gave you eternal life. You ought to live out that eternal life. And what is one of the chief ways you live out eternal life? 
loving other mm -hmm. believers. Yes. So, so he says here, the world is passing away and it's lust, but the one doing the will of God, that is, he's really loving. He, instead of laying his life down for the world, he's laying his life down for believers. He, and here's our word meno again, he abides or is at ease into the age when the world is constantly shifting and it's changing and it used to be this was the popular thing and now it's this thing and then it's this thing and I'm chasing after this and now I'm behind because they're way over here. You go, it's okay. It's okay. Because guess what? <coughs> loving other believers, loving the family never goes out of style. But clothing styles change. Vacation destinations change. Social activities change. Everything in the world changes. That's exactly what he's saying. He said, Paul said that and John says that. The world is passing away. John, or Paul said it, the world and its scenery is passing away. It's constantly shifting. And for some reason, as Christians, this is, this is just my perspective on the outside, I honestly think Christians are always behind. We always are slow to catch up and go, oh, this is what the world's doing. By the time you're up there, then the like we already said, then the world is like, oh, that is so yesterday. And instead of always chasing after what the world tells us we need to be pursuing and things like that, we're just continue loving other believers as God gives us opportunity. You're at ease into the age because you're like, it doesn't go out of style. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other comments or questions before we go back to John? I don't know why. I don't get to go to men's group and have these conversations. That's all I'm saying. Well, we didn't have this conversation the other night. <laughs> this first came to mind afterwards. <laughs> have, just have Lewis give you those things and get together with the gals. He tells me nothing. I don't even know the topics. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Leslie, you're nothing either. Let's turn. Yeah, it's a vault. <laughs> Good man. John chapter 16. Let's go back to John chapter 16. And I want to I want to look at a couple of things that uh, that that are going to come out. And I, I, I'm trying to decide because the, the upper room really kind of flows over into chapter 17. Chapter 17 of John is really the Lord's Prayer. Because this is the prayer he prayed. The thing that's called the Lord's Prayer over in Matthew is a prayer for the disciples looking for the kingdom. It's not even a prayer for us. I still remember when I got into high school in football, they, we all stand in there and the coach gets up and gives us our hurrah. And then right before we all leave the locker room or get off the bus, depending if it's a away game, we all get down and we take it. He says, take a knee. Never make a sound, takes a knee. And he call on the captain of the football team, lead us in prayer. And he'd go, God, help us go out and play a good game of football. You know, they do all this thing. And then he said, and now we pray the Lord's Prayer. And they all say this. And I'm like, what? I never, we didn't pray the Lord's Prayer ever in the church I grew up in, ever. <laughs> and so I was like, what, what is this that they're praying? <laughs> I just didn't even know what this was. I was like, kind of heard some of this before. Pretty soon I knew what it was. I still never prayed it because I, I was raised in a church that that was a prayer for the disciples, for the kingdom. It's not for the church. And so I refused to pray it when the rest of the football team did. But I was praying, you know, with the, with the, when the team captain is going, God, help us go out and play a good game and win. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, then the Lord's Prayer thing, I just kind of keep praying good stuff anyway. But I'm just saying, that's not the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. 
all my crazy illustration, you can forget all that nonsense there. But this is technically the Lord's Prayer. Now, here's, here's some statistics. I always like statistics. John, cosmos, the time word cosmos for the world system, is a big deal. I should have marked down what it is in the other books, but it's 78 times that it's used in the Gospel of John. That's how big of a topic it is. That's like, if I, I'm not, I might be wrong in this, but I think that that's like Matthew, Mark, and Luke all put together in terms of the number of the times that it occurs. You can go home and check me out and call me on that if I got it wrong. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I just remember looking, I couldn't believe how big that number was compared to the numbers up above in my tally sheet. But of those 78, 18 times Jesus uses the word for the world system, cosmos, just in chapter 17. <coughs> just in chapter 17 he uses it 18 times. So, I want to look at these real quick. 17, verse 6. He's praying to the Father and he says, I have made your name visible to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They are yours and you have given them to me and they have kept your word. So he says, these are out of the world. Now, What's interesting about this when he says that they are out of the world is elsewhere he's going to say that, uh, let me find the statement because I don't think I marked this one down. Uh, I didn't see that because he acts, elsewhere he actually says of these disciples, they, oh, let's go to verse 16. And I don't have this marked down in my notes. I highlighted, I went through and highlighted all the places where cosmos occurs here in, in the English because I thought this, I'd never noticed how big of a deal this was in the Lord in uh, John 17, in verse 16, he says, they are not out of the world. Now, we just read a verse a little bit ago saying, well, you, they, they came out of the world. But now he says, but they're not out of the world, even as I'm not out of the world. Now, you as a believer today, I just was listening to, I was listening to a, a podcast this morning when I was out walking, and they were talking about regeneration. And then when they're talking about regeneration, they come along and they just kind of took regeneration and kind of threw it in the garbage because they said, we've been adopted into God's family. And they miss the point. And I hear this all the time. Adoption and regeneration are two different things. You cannot be, biblically, you cannot be adopted until you're regenerated. Because you have to be in God's family before you can be elevated to the position of son. Okay? Which is technically what adoption, biblical adoption, is referring to. We could... That's a whole other Bible study. But this issue of regeneration actually causes you, at the moment that you believe the gospel, causes you to be born from above. That's what Jesus says in John 3, Nicodemus, be born onothen. Doesn't say, doesn't say born palin, that would be the Greek word for again, but onothen, from above, which if you go down below in the context down a little bit, John the Baptist says, that which is from above is from above. That which is out of the earth is out of... So, we're born from above. We're not only born from above, but we're, we are, are regenerated again, or palingenesia, again birthed, a second birth. John, or uh, Paul uses that word in Titus 3. Peter uses the word anogonao in, in uh, 1 Peter which means, again, born afresh. <coughs> but if you want, keep your hand here and flip with me over to 1 John 5. 
First John five. First John five and verse one says, "Everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ, meaning He's the one that's resurrected, glorified, uh, based on how Peter changes the word." This one has been, perfect tense, meaning he has been with the result that he is. So he's talking about, I'm writing to you believers right now. If you're a believer, he says, you have been born in the past with the result that you remain a born one of God. Every one of us in the room has kids. Are they still your kids? Are they still your born ones? Yeah, they're still your born ones, right? Okay. So we understand the idea of a perfect tense. They remain your children. Even if for some reason you kicked them to the street and said, I don't ever want to see your face again, are they still technically your children? <laughs> They've still got your genetic code running through them. Okay. So he says, everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born ek, out from God. And everyone loving the one having given birth also loves the one having been begotten from him. This is that statement. Uh, if you love God, you got to be loving the kids. This is so another. Interesting. Okay, are you telling me that in the Greek it doesn't say father in that verse? Not in mine, it doesn't. Not in this Greek text. I don't know if there's a if there is a textual problem, but it just says out from God. I the, I only ask because the ESV translates it as everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Okay, that's the next part of the verse, isn't it? Because well, mine says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born out from God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born to him. Right, and Tim said, whoever, anyone who loves the one having birthed, what did you say? Yeah, having, having given birth to, that's right. I am to second, let me just pull up my... I mean, it... I don't know how much it really matters. It's just curious to me that they threw in the father. I'm just looking at it, and I do not see... I that that's what it means, but that's not what it says. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was just checking. I don't see a textual problem listed there um, on there. So particular God all three times through. Right. And in the context, if you have a, if you have God with a definite article, then one of the responsibilities <coughs> you have is in the context you have to try to determine... Who is that? By the way, this is this is the study that when we're done with the adult class that we're doing right now, this is a study that Jim's going to be doing with us for a while. He's going to be looking at places where God occurs at the definite article and trying to, is this the Father? Is this Christ? Is this, is this the Spirit? And there, there's a number of, he and I have had quite a few conversations because we've both done work on this. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. But you do have to make a call on this when it says God. Now, I'm, what I'm thinking is you have English Bibles that have come along and they said, well, it's referring to the Father, which I don't. we're not going to debate that. It's just We just need to know the word Father actually isn't there. I think it's an accurate representation of the idea. It's just not, it's just not translating a word. It's it, it is. It's an interpretive translation. The point being, this is the main reason we came to 5.1, is for us to say, if you're a believer in Christ, you're no longer a child of the devil. That's gone. Jesus says to the people in John 8, the ones he says, you don't believe me. He says, you're from your father, the devil. Could you imagine what kind of friends you'd make with people if you went down and were talking to people downtown? You know, 
uh, unsaved people and you stood on the street corner and people stand on and they're going, yeah, and they go, yeah, you know what? You're from your father, the devil. You want to do his works. Well, that's what Jesus told those people in John 8. It did not make friends and influence people. Well, it influenced them to pick up stones <laughs> to try to stone him. If you read the end of the chapter. But the thing is, is you and I as believe, in fact, he talks about children of the devil in chapter 3, in verse 10. John talks about this. So if you're a believer, you really literally have gone through a spiritual birth that has changed you in the realm of your spirit. Jesus says that in John 3 to Nicodemus. Your spirit is not what it used to be. Yeah, my body's not changed. That's why I have glasses. That's why I've got a bum knee right now. And other things. That's why my wife's home tonight, because she's not feeling well, because we're in bodies that get messed up. Our souls aren't saved, which is why sometimes our emotions just go nuts. And uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm a guy. I'll admit this is a thing I have. I blame it on my Conrad, which that's my mom's side of the family. But sometimes things just hit me, and I just well up, and I just get very emotional, and I'll just start crying over stuff. Um, yeah. I'm like that too. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, good. I'm glad to know there's some other guys on on board with me. What? Okay. Uh, it's, it's nice to know because a lot of guys don't want to admit that. I remember my dad telling me, uh, was telling me that when he, after he had kids, after we got older, that's what he says, after we got older and we were out of the house, he says, I don't know what happened. He says, but I found that things got to me more, you know, and I don't know that that many cried or anything more, but he had things that just kind of really would kind of just, uh, anyway, all that to say, <laughs> Our souls, our souls are still not saved. They're the last thing, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 9. Our soul is the last thing saved. But we're saved in the realm of our spirit, which means that we can think objectively outside of our realm of experience with clarity. Our soul messes that up because our soul's going, oh, but how about this? Don't we feel like this? Right? Is anybody else there? Know what that's like when your soul's in there? So this is very important because it's saying that we've been born from God. Now, this is the point. If we go back over to, you keep this in mind, this is not the only statement in the New Testament, This is, but this is just the one we came to that says, see, this is why we're called children of God. Not because we were adopted. Adoption is never applied to the term technon. Technon comes from the verb ticto, and ticto means to bear or birth a child. And it's related to to this, what he's talking about here. This is a different word for birth. This isn't ticto, this is ganao, uh, to birth. But that's what technon means. Adoption is always tied to the word son. And son has to do with an elevated status in the family that you've been now given privilege. It's a different matter. So let's go back over to John 17, when Jesus says in John 17, 16, talking about his disciples, they are not out of the world, even as I am not out of the world. Jesus is saying here, my disciples, and they haven't even experienced regeneration yet, like you and I have. That's not going to happen until the day of Pentecost. But there already was some change that, had, that was going on with what Jesus was doing with these disciples, that they already were different from the people of the world. Not just by making their minds up, oh, I'm going to be different, I'm going to do the stuff they do. Well, they still were stupid and did some of the stuff that the world did at times, right? Hey, Lord, 
Would you like us to call down fire on that city and burn it up? Remember James and John? The wonderful John that writes the Gospel of John. That was him. That was him. Impetuous John, you know. Or they're walking, following Jesus down the road. You ever hear your kids in the back seat talking and arguing about stuff? Well, remember they're walking and Jesus goes, what were you guys talking about on the road? He knew exactly what they were talking about, but he's trying to get them to talk about it. Just like you do that with your kids. What are you guys talking about back? You know what they're talking about. You're listening to them. Jesus is omniscient. They're arguing, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> See? Yeah, so his, uh, to, to use a, a Ben Orth-ism, they were not heads sometimes. His disciples were um, in those things. But the point is, they already, there is a part of them that's not out of the world. Remember what Peter says at the end of John 6? Jesus says, all, all, all these other thousands of disciples were leaving. They weren't going to follow Jesus anymore because they were upset by what he was asking of them. And they were like, and he says, I, I, know, I know these guys didn't, ne they never really believed in me. How about you guys? You guys want to go? What does Peter say? What are we, where are we going to go? You're the one that has the words of life. See, so, so these guys, there were things that they got. There were things that they did get. But he says they're not out of the world. This is really important for you and I to know. That when he says that to them, this is also true of us. We really aren't out of the world. We really are, as Peter says, as Paul says, we are strangers and pilgrims down here. Words that in the Greek mean people that live alongside people that are at home. Meaning... We're not at home. We're someplace else. But this isn't home. This is not home. That Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote that song, I don't know, 35 years ago. Not home yet. I still love that. I, I cannot listen to that song that without tearing up. I love that. I wish I could play it on the guitar, but I'm just not that talented. You could do uh, it. No, I trust you. It's, it's tricky. Anyway, but it's a beautiful song. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. So let's look at another one of these in here before we tie this off. In chapter 17, look with me at verse 9. I, he says, I ask, Eritao, asking as an equal, because he's an equal to the Father, I ask concerning them, that is concerning these 11 disciples. I do not ask concerning the world. I ask concerning those that you have given to me because they are yours. Notice Jesus, when he's praying to the Father, he says, I'm not, I'm not praying for the world. I think there's a lot of people that are out there thinking, oh, Jesus is out there. He's just loving the world up right now. He's up there praying for the world. He says right here, I'm, Father, I'm not asking for the world. I'm asking for those that are yours, that you've given to me, that they're in the world, but they're not part of this. And I'm, that's kind of a synopsis of some of the things going on in John 17. And I think that, again, is an important thing for us to think about. When Jesus talks to the Father, then, as well as when he intercedes now, he's not interceding for the world out there. He's interceding for you and I, because we are his. The world is not. They're not part of the family, and they have no relationship to him apart from faith. If they'd have faith, they'd, be, they'd have a relationship with him. Their only relationship to him is the balance of John 3.16 that hardly anybody ever reads. We all love John 3.16, but we never like the next verses. He didn't come into the world to judge, but guess what? If they don't believe, they're judged already, he said. Whether that came out of the mouth of Jesus or whether that's John's additions in there, we don't know. But one way or another, it's God's word. 
And so I think that that, I, I was reading through this last week, again in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep and I was reading through John 17 and I was just like, man, that struck me. How many times have I read through this? And I know that verse, but man, it just really struck me. There really is a distinct difference between you and I as believers and the world. And Jesus' care is not for the world. It's for us that belong to him. That's a big deal. In other words, well, we'll pick on Lewis over here because Lewis still has kids at home. Could you imagine if he's going and he's helping with something with a bunch of kids at school and everything he does is all about all those other kids out there, but he gets home and his kids go, Dad, all you cared about is them. I was having the same problems. You, you didn't do anything for me. It's all about other people's kids. What would you feel? Picking on Lewis here. How would you feel? You would feel kind of maybe like my dad's more concerned about other people than he is about me. It's not like he has to be devoted to me out there on the field, but you'd like him to show at least as much attention as he's showing to the rest of them. Isn't that what you'd think? But Jesus is saying here, no, my attention, my concern is directed to those that you've given to me uh, in this regard. And then, verse 14. Let's go to verse 13. But now, he says, I am coming to you. I've spoken these things while being in the world in order that they might have my joy filled full in themselves, which is a connection to the book of 1 John in the first verses of chapter 1. Verse 14 then. I have given to them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not from the world, just as I am not from the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I'm not saying, get them, get them saved, and then yank them out right away. It's not saying I'm doing that. I'm actually asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not out of the world, even as I am not out of the world. But that statement in there, the world has hated them. This goes back to what we started with over there in John 16, if you just flip back over there, where he says, in the world you're going to have pressure. Some of that pressure comes because the world's got a bait system out there that it's constantly putting shiny things on the shelf saying, don't you want this, don't you want this, don't you want this. And we're like little kids at the toy store going, yeah, I got a hundred toys at home, but one more will make me happy. Right? Is that the way we are as adults? Yeah, we're still like that. That's part of it. But the other aspect of pressure within the world is that, you know, the things that, the things that really should excite us as believers do not excite the world. And in fact, when we hold to those things and we celebrate those things, the world doesn't like it. He said, they, the world hates them because of your word, because of the excitement of that. Now, we live at a time right now where we live here in our nation, where you can talk to a lot of people. You could go downtown, get them at the post office, get them at the grocery store, down at, downtown somewhere, and you could talk to them about these things. And most of them would go, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. And they're going to be cordial, generally. But I can guarantee you, in their mind, they're going, I wish this stupid person would shut up and quit talking to me about this but they've just been taught to be tolerant. But you know what? Every time in society that society, that there's a shift and it becomes acceptable to not be nice to people that believe in Jesus Christ, those same people 
that were your nice next door neighbor before all of a sudden are on you like white on rice. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. And isn't that what you see in the book of Acts and you read through the balance of the New Testament? That you see that believers suffered at the hands of the world system. And it still happens to this day and it may happen with us. But it goes back to our study from last week. Even though we're dealing with pressure and adversity and these negative things in the world, you go to who you are in Christ, you relate to that. What, what does God give you? Peace. The world can burn down around you. The world can be not your friend. The world can be hostile towards you. But guess what? You can still have peace in Christ. I'm convinced that one of the reasons when you read some of the things that happened, when you read in the book of Acts, when you read in the book of Acts that the early church that they were meeting daily, I can understand why they would have wanted to be there daily. Because one of the things is, out there in the world, there was so much hostility towards them in the world, they just wanted to get together with some other people that they actually shared some salvation in common with. And I can guarantee you, if right now, if tomorrow morning we woke up and all of a sudden it became acceptable for the world to just beat on Christians, as it were, whether verbally or however, you'd find a lot of real Christians, you'd find Christians stepping up, spending time together, more time than we do now. Because we're like, I just, I need to have other believers. I need to be together with other believers. I need some encouragement. I need help. And I need some people to remind me who I am in Christ and have this peace. Which all of that goes back to the beginning of the upper room discourse where Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a new commandment. To love one another like I loved you. Okay. I didn't, every last, I didn't hit every last thing that I had written down, but I think we hit enough of them. So, anybody have any comments or questions here?